are race relations getting better or worse under Donald Trump? The inimitable Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson will join to discuss race and sex in the Trump era. All 56 genders and every single race from white to black to orange. Then a word on Cambridge Analytica and the media blackout of Trump's possibly denuclearizing North Korea. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. That's a lot to talk about today. Race, sex, ending the Korean conflict after 70 years, the media blackout, this Cambridge Analytica nonsense. That is a lot to get to. We, we're going to get to Jesse first. If you don't know Jesse Lee Peterson, who is the author of The Antidote, Healing America from the Poison of Hate, Blame, and Victimhood, this man has cojones of steel. This man has cojones of absolute steel. He is totally courageous. He just speaks the truth as he sees it. Here is just a taste from a recent video that Jesse made walking around bad neighborhoods in L.A. asking black people if they love white people and specifically Donald Trump, who I suppose is an orange person. Here it is. How old are you? I'm 20. How about you? 21. How about you? I'm 15. Uh, 15? Did you vote for President Trump? Nah, Trump. Uh, Trump, man. <laughs> Donald Trump. He taking our, he taking our state into a hellhole. I do how? Because how he taking all the free money and stuff, man. He's taking the free money? Yeah, he's taking he's all our dough, man. Taking all the dough, just doing too. nothing. What, what free money is he taking? Damn, you asking You believe that President Trump hate black people? I believe he do. And only because someone said it? Or what did he do to make you think that? Besides not agreeing with Barack Obama. That's it. That's all. That's all? Yeah. And because he didn't agree with Barack Obama, you think that he's a racist? Yeah, off top. But Barack is a Democrat. The president is a Republican. And Republicans and Democrats don't agree. So does that make them racist? Yeah. <laughs> I like the simplicity of it. So, you know, does, so just being a Republican, does that make you racist? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's about it. So I talked to that vicious racist, Jesse Lee Peterson. Uh, we sat down to discuss, are race relations getting better or worse under Donald Trump? We talked last week. Here's what we talked about. We're joined now by the Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson. Jesse, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Michael. I appreciate it. So you write frequently about uh, race relations in America. From the 30,000 foot view, are race relations today better or worse in the presidency of Donald Trump? In one sense, they're better because um, a lot of black Americans, they were familiar with President Trump before he became president. And they liked him. They liked the fact that he speak up. He has courage. You know, he's done very well in life. And then on the other hand, because the children of the lie are pushing this idea that the president is a racist, you have the, uh, and, and when I say children of the lie, I'm referring to liberals, the liberal media, the Democratic Party, the Never Trumpers, and the Rhino Republicans. And they are pushing this lie because they hate the president. And they know that if they say racism, most blacks, not all, not all, not all, would go into a trance. And whatever they say about racism and this president, they're going to believe it. But I, I believe that before the president leave the White House, uh, that the race relations in this country would have gotten better. Well, that you, you bring up... Uh... The, the lie here, because there, there have been, uh, I think you're referring to the, the father of lies, right? You're talking about this, uh, 
These uh, people are pushing this lie that uh, Donald Trump is a racist, but we never heard this until he ran for office. He was in the pop culture for 40 years. We never heard accusations that he was uh, a racist. How did this develop? How did he suddenly become a racist 40 years after we first met him in the tabloids of New York? Well, the reason that it came about is that President Trump is a straight, white, male, Christian conservative of power, and he is a Republican. And because of that, the uh, Democrats, the children of the lie, are desperate. The president has put the country first. And the last thing that they want is for anyone to put the country first. And they hate this man for that reason. There was a time when Jesse Jackson and Lewis, I mean, Al Sharpton and others, they honored the president because he cared about the black community. He helped them in several ways. But because he's in control now, he is a white, straight, male conservative of power. They don't like that. And so they're using that word in order to try and destroy him and to turn black folks away from him. So you, you think the, the word has basically been robbed of meeting because it's been bandied about so much? Well, it's a made up word anyway. There is no such thing as racism. And I prove it in my book, The Antidote, Healing America from the Poison of Hate, Blame, and Victimhood. That word came about in the 40s, I believe. And it came about because the race hustlers, the so-called civil rights leaders, and the liberal whites, they needed to control black people. And so they made up this word that whites are against you because of your color. There's racism out there. And because most blacks are angry, they believed into that lie and they went into a trance. And so whenever they, these hustlers want to get power and wealth, they bring up that word because they need blacks to support them. I grew up in Alabama. I grew up under the Jim Crow laws. I grew up on a plantation. And not one time did I hear the word racism. They, uh, in those days, they knew that that was good and evil, right versus wrong. And there are good folks in all cultures and there are bad folks in all cultures. And it has nothing to do with being a male or a female. You're either right or you're wrong. And that's how we grew up. But that word came about once the civil rights movement started because they needed to control black people. Do, do you find, because I always find it so funny, you grow up fatherless on a plantation in Jim Crow, Alabama, and then white liberals scold you for your views on politics and race. And they say, oh no, Jesse, that's how, how racist of you or something, or uh, I don't yeah. even know the terms they use. Do, do you see though, we were told throughout all of 2016 that there is a major movement called the alternative right and half of the country is deplorable. D do you see an upsurge in anti-black sentiment in the U.S. around this time? Uh, is, th is there anything to those claims or have they, is there something to them, but they've been totally abused? Uh, what is it? You know, for the last 50 to 60 years, most white people have been afraid to speak up. They are afraid of the word racism. They are afraid of losing their uh, livelihood, their jobs and, uh, and businesses. And so they have not spoken up and they have seen examples of other white men and women who have spoken up and they end up losing their careers. And so white people have fear. And then the white man, he's been blamed for everything. They accuse them for everything that is happening with black folks. And most white men have not spoken up. Now we finally have a, a man in the White House who is not afraid to speak up. If you attack him, 
He will attack back. He will expose you. He will deal with you. And I believe that he's given or encouraging other white men and women who are on the side of good to speak up and not tolerate the lie. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. And that's what you see happening. And, and the children of the lie don't like that because if white Americans wake up and take back control of their lives and their country, it will be over for the liberals. And that's why they're accusing white people of being racist and all of uh, all the uh, white supremacists. It's a, once again, they're using these words to try to intimidate. I'm very happy to see white Americans speaking up because if we lose white Americans, it's over for this country. We can say goodbye to America. Do, do you think, because I do think that it's been used as a cudgel, words like racist or yes. white supremacist. Or something. I do think they're, they're used as a cudgel to intimidate regular old people, run-of-the-mill <laughs> Republicans That's who want right. lower taxes or something. It's clearly a bullying tactic. Uh, is, it's interesting to compare, especially to like the 1970s, 1960s and 70s, Louis Farrakhan, the leader of the Nation of Islam, he gets a total pass from the mainstream media. A racist, if ever there was one, if the word does have meaning, it certainly refers to him. <laughs> he, he talks about the satanic Jews. He blamed the Jews for 9-11. He called Hitler a very great man and he calls white people devils. Yet yeah. the Congressional Black Caucus plays nice with him. There's even a photo of Barack Obama meeting with him, all smiles in 2005, and yet the mainstream media totally covered that up. If racism is the issue, if, if uh, we want to reduce racial bigotry, which all people do, all people of goodwill do, I suppose, why does Louis Farrakhan get a pass? When I first moved to LA back in 1968, I started to listen to Louis Farrakhan because I had this anger. And at the time I had not overcome, I, have not, I had not forgiven my parents, so I had not overcome the anger. And so I listened to Jesse Jackson and Louis Farrakhan and others. And in that state of anger, I thought that he was telling the truth. And I thought that the battle was between blacks and whites because I believed into that lie. And at the time, Louis Farrakhan would come to LA and he would speak at the forum in Inglewood, California. And he would say that um, black people were the first people on earth. They were very smart. And then there were some black people who turned evil and went into a laboratory and created the white man. And as a result, we have the uh, blue-eyed devil. And that's how white people came about. And he blamed the Jews for all the problems of black America, calling them uh, blood-sucking Jews and how they controlled everything and all that. And we believed into that lie at the time because there was no one saying that it wasn't true. Uh, the black caucus, the black representatives were going along with that. And what they were teaching black people is that we all have to stick together because we are black and fight against the racist white people and the blood-sucking Jews. And that's what you see happening now. In all honesty, the members of the Black Caucus who are supporting Louis Farrakhan, they believe in what he says. They teach that themselves. And so they, that's why you still see them supporting him because they agree with it. And because of the double standard in America today, these blacks can get along with, get away with doing and saying whatever they want because they know white people are not going to stand against them. It has just gone out of control and it's not going to change until black people who are on the side of good and whites and Jews alike stand together and fight against these people. 
Otherwise, it's only going to get worse because they are encouraging other young black people to do the same thing and believe into the same thing. The, the only thing I'll say in defense of Louis Farrakhan is we did create Ben Shapiro in a laboratory. That is true. We did. We did. We turned <laughs> up the facts so. and the feelings a little down. Yeah, that's uh, on, on Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan is an evil, evil man. He's evil to the core. Yeah. There was one time when he was calling for all black state within the United States. He is so evil. But he, because he's black, he's able to get away with it. It seems as though it's changing a little bit now. I hope so. But unless people speak up, it's not going to get better. Why is it, do you think, that Louis Farrakhan's group, the Nation of Islam, uh, was able to take hold so significantly during movements like the Black Power Movement in the 60s and 70s? Why was it the Nation of Islam instead of I don't, the Nation of Unitarianism or something, or the nation of Christianity. Right. Why, why was right. that ideology able to take hold? Because in the public school system, in the prisons and jails, in the juvenile detention centers, and some of the so-called Christian black churches, they were teaching that uh, Christianity is a white man's religion, and that in Africa, blacks were Muslims and not Christians. And that blacks have been brainwashed with Christianity, that white people went around the world and brainwashing blacks and others with Christianity. And that is not uh, the black man's religion. And that's why uh, 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 Farrakhan was able to seduce them. And in the prisons and jails, you have a lot of men, black men and women who are angry. They are angry. But the anger starts in the homes because most black men and women, they hate their mothers and they yearn for their fathers. Their mothers have turned them away from their fathers. And the worst thing that can happen to children is to turn them away from their earthly fathers. Because when you turn them away from their fathers, you turn them away from God. And it leaves an emptiness, a void in your life. And you find yourself looking for love in all the wrong places. And so it's, instead of telling black people to forgive their mothers for what they've done, they tell them that it's, it's white man, that uh, Christianity is a white man's religion. And in these prisons, these guys are desperate for a father. And Louis Farrakhan represent that in a bad way, but he still represent it. And that's why they believe him. And that's why his religion is not a religion, but his so-called religion has grown in numbers because he has seduced blacks in their fallen state of anger. Uh, well, I, I'll take this as an opportunity to turn from race to sex for a second to talk about this this crisis of masculinity, which you you write about and speak about eloquently. Uh, you have an organization called Bond. You say that uh, our culture has a shortage of good men, and you want to rebuild the family by rebuilding the man. What is wrong with men in our culture? What, how did that crisis of good men start? Well, today, men are the most hated species on this side of heaven. And the reason that they are hated is because they represent strength. They represent love. They re represent authority. They represent good. And, and the children who, the folks who hate God, they hate men for that reason. Because in, 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 the, in the Christian world, there's an order of life. And that order is God in Christ. Christ and man, man over woman and woman over children. And when you have that order, life works better for you. But when you remove that man from, the, from his family, 
by degrading him or attacking him or falsely accusing him of being a child molester or, or abuser, then you turn the wife and children away and then evil can take over the minds of the of the women, the wife and the children, and destroy it. But as long as you have that man over the woman, you know, with with God's love operating through him, that cannot happen. And I saw that happen with black men first, uh, where uh, under Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, he came in with the Democrats' approval, and they said to black people, we are going to help you. You can't make it in life because of racism. And, uh, and so, but, but you can't have a father in the home. You, we're going to give you government programs and all this stuff, but you can't have a man. And the man left his home. The government took over along with the race hustling so-called civil rights leaders, and it's just been downhill. Today, most black women hate black men, and most black men hate black women because it's not in the nature of a woman to raise children. It's in the nature of the father. That's why God married man and woman so that they can be there to help each other raise children. And when you leave, when the father leaves the home, the mother has to impose her will on them. She she has to operate with anger and a lack of patience. And that ends up destroying the innocence of the children because they become angry at the mother. And as you know, whomever you become angry at, you become like them. You take on their identity. And as you notice, most black men, even the so-called straight one, they act like women. They're easy to anger. They're impatient. They don't want to work anymore. They are blaming the white man for their problems because they have the nature of their mothers instead of the nature of the father. And that can only change when they forgive their mothers for what they have done and then return to the father. It is one of the central predictors of future success, whether you were raised in a, in a two-parent home or, in, or if the father ran out, that is a predictor that you'll ha- you're going to have a harder time in life. You have yeah. made it very far in life, and you've, uh, you grew up without a father in Alabama. You got over your anger. You talk about this and you write about this. How did you do it? You know, I... Um... When I moved to L.A. and at, at 18, I was on my own and I had a lot of fear and doubt and insecurity. I didn't really know what I wanted to do in life. I had this emptiness inside of me deep down in my soul. And it didn't matter how much money I had or where I lived or anything. I still had the void. And so I went to some of the black churches and I would tell the preachers that I felt this way. And they would say, well, it's not you. It's racism. It's the white man keep you down. And for the first time in my life, I started to resent white people. And as you know, when you hate what you put out, come back on you. My life went to hell in a handbasket. And so long story short, I started to think about this. And I'm thinking, if white man, if the white man is holding me back because of my color, why is it that he's not holding Jesse Jackson back and Al Sharpton and all those people? They're doing <laughs> yeah, they're wearing well. pretty nice suits and doing just well. <laughs> and then so I asked God to let me see what was wrong, right? And he allowed me to see that I resented my parents, my, my father for not being there and my mother who tried to turn me away from him. And I had become like my mother. And so I, I, as a result, I understood that I needed to forgive them. And when I forgave them, God forgave me and he gave me perfect peace. He took the anger away. I have no anger. And this has been 29 years ago. I have no anger and I only have love, but not emotional love. A love that allows me to speak up and deal with evil, but don't resent. 
And then when I was growing up, we was always taught to work and be independent. So I already had that going on for me, but I didn't have the inner uh, self-control and security that a man should have. I now have that, and I have the best life on this side of heaven because I hate no one. I disagree with what people, some people are about, but I don't have anger toward them about it. Is that the essence? If we're talking about forgiveness, that's a, an important lesson for all cultures at all times to keep in mind, because if you carry things around with you, it is really going to deform you. It's really going to wreck your life. Uh, is is the message here basically just Christianity? Just repent and believe in the Bible? Is that is that the message for the culture? Michael, I can promise you it is the message. Once you forgive, but forgive your parents first, because a lot of people, um, especially with the mothers, they always blame the father, so they deal with the fathers, right? But a lot of uh, uh, adults, young and old, are afraid to deal with their mothers because they feel guilty. The mothers make them feel guilty. The mother make them feel that it's the father. But once you forgive your parents, then God will forgive you, and he will take that identity away from you and give you back your identity so that you could be you and there's nothing on earth like being you. You know, we're supposed to have the good values of our parents, but we are not supposed to lose our identity and become like our parents. And so once you forgive, you will be forgiven. You will have perfect peace. You will wake up and then you can live your life. And until that happens, you're never going to find peace within. I noticed the Democrat Party seems to have doubled down on their strategy of the past several decades. They've elevated Keith Ellison, a former member of the Nation of Islam, to become vice chairman of the party. Is there any hope that Democrats will listen to one of your programs at some point and get the message and moderate a little bit? I doubt that the politician uh, 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 aspect, the political aspect of the Democratic Party will, but I have to honestly tell you, there are Democrats who are, uh, there are blacks and others who have been voted for the Democrats for however long. They are hearing this message and, be, and they are forgiven. They're starting to deal with their own lives and they are waking up. They're overcoming the anger and they are turning away from the Democratic Party. I think that the Democratic Party is so far left now, it's going to take another hundred years before they turn around. These people love power, they love wealth, and they love to control the people. And I don't see them giving that up anytime soon, but I'm happy about that because now that we have the great white hope in the White House, he's putting the country first, people going back to work, you know, t uh, they're, they're seeing more money on their paychecks. Uh, I know people personally who are starting businesses as a result of the president. And I think that that's going to impact him more. So let the Democrats go for a left. Let them serve their father, the devil. I'm quite happy with that because America is waking up. Uh, on the topic of the great white hope and specifically on, <laughs> on, on Donald Trump and, uh, and, and race relations, there is this incredible video you put up in February where you went into these terrible neighborhoods and you asked people two questions. Do you love Donald Trump and do you love white people? And the, <laughs> the answers you got were incredible. What did you find? I, I found that most of them hate white people. They're angry at white people. And then some of them, a lot of them were angry at President Trump too, simply because he's white. And I've been saying for years- That he's orange. That, no, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've been saying for years that most black people 
hate white people. And, and it's not whites hating blacks, it's blacks hating whites. And it's because they're coming from destructive homes. They're being born out of wedlock. They've been told that it's a white man. And so I did the man on the street to prove that point even more so that it's the lack of moral character and the destruction of the family. It's this anger that black people have that's holding them back instead of the white man. It's they're holding themselves back by not dropping that anger. It was an amazing video. It was amazing to get that on camera so the world can see that black people hate white folks. And just not, you know, until they drop that anger, you can give them affirmative action. You can allow them to move into your neighborhoods. You can allow them to go to whatever school they want to. Until they drop that anger, they will always be complaining and blaming white folks for their lack of. And so I proved that on the video. I hope everybody check it out. I, everybody has to go see it because Jesse, one thing about you that I've always loved is that you, you exist on like another plane of existence. So you, you have no fear. You have no fear whatsoever. You will go into any neighborhood and with a microphone and say, uh, so do you love Donald Trump? What, uh, do, you, do you love him? Do you, there is no guile. There's nothing being held back. What you see is really what you get. You're having these very honest conversations. I wonder, because obviously the left and the media want to use terms like racist or bigot or this or that and wring it around our necks. Uh, but I wonder about the difference between culture and uh, race. It, it seems to me that race doesn't really matter much at all. About, uh, it doesn't. And it doesn't really affect anything from, from what I can tell. But culture matters tremendously. And culture matters a lot. The word culture derives from the same word as the word cult. It, it comes from what you worship. If you, if you worship money, you're going to have a more materialistic culture. How do we turn the culture around in America? What, you, you've written about the antidote. What is the hope? How does the culture have to change so that the country can uh, become more unified, more productive together? That's a really good question. Uh, first of all, we got to tell the truth. And the reason I don't have fear, uh, Michael, is because when God took my anger away, he took away fear. Anyone who has anger has fear. Anyone who doesn't have anger will not have fear. I had fear before. But what we got to do is we got to start telling the truth. For too long, we have allowed the lie to persist, to go on and on generation after generation. And we have not told the truth. And so all people who love what's right must tell the truth. And once you start telling the truth, there are people who are going to wake up to that truth and overcome. We have to overcome culture. We should only love God with all our heart, soul, and might, and then love our neighbors as ourselves. And if you love anything else along with that, then you're not going to love your fellow man. I can enjoy culture. You know, I can take it. I can go to the hood and eat some uh, collard greens and fried chicken or whatever they eat. But I'm not into the culture thing. I'm into loving all people. And again, I want to make sure I'm not talking about that emotional love. I'm not talking about that love that, you know, only love you when someone loves you. I just love is simply not hating. If you don't have any anger, then you have love. And so until we start telling the truth, it's just going to, the cultural thing would get worse. The people would be more divided. We can no longer be afraid to stand up and tell the truth. That's the only thing that's going to defeat the lie. The truth, that is absolutely true. The, uh, it's, it's very easy to say, you know, there, there are 
troubles in this world. Another great Peterson that I talked to, Jordan Peterson, uh, whom I spoke to a little while ago, yes. uh, he, he pointed out that people now want to pretend that there isn't suffering in this world, that we aren't naturally going to suffer. But uh, there, there is an important verse which says, uh, you'll suffer in this world, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Uh, do you, what's on the horizon for you? What projects are you working on? Uh, and how can we get you to run for office or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, hey, Urban, bring me the T-shirt. I, I have this great T-shirt I'm going to show you here in a minute. But um, um, we're having a uh, town hall meeting at, at Bond, my headquarters in Los Angeles, on April, I believe it's 21st. I get the date for you. And we're going to be talking about this illegal alien situation in our country. I am 100% for the wall, and I want to deport all illegals. I want them gone. I want my country back. And so when is the town hall? April 12th. Oh, we have a town hall on April 12th at the headquarters of Bond, and we're going to be dealing with the uh, illegal alien situation in the country. We're also, uh, you know, I have a radio show. I'm on Newsmax TV now in over 50 million homes around the country and just telling the truth and waking people up. We're doing speaking tours, dealing with this, trying to unite the races with the truth rather than dividing them with lies. And this is a perfect time to do it. I want to show you a great T-shirt that we made. Are you able to see that? <laughs> that for, for people who are only listening, it's, a, it's a, the mug of Donald Trump and it just says the great white hope. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is incredible. So, <laughs> so we, we have that going. I'm taking the opportunity. This is the best time of our life, Michael. We finally have a chance to take back America. And I'm now seeing all races of people who are on the side of good and love the country unite together and fight against those who hate the country and try to destroy it. And so we need to take advantage of this opportunity for the first time in my lifetime, we have a president who is putting this country first. He's driving the children of the lie insane. And it's a joy to see that. But I want to unite the country while we have him in the White House. And once we're united, it would be harder to tear us apart again. Love is the key. If you walk around with a chip on your shoulder, if you walk around yep. hating everybody, you're not going to have a good life. You're doing it wrong. It, there, there are even schools of this in the academy. It, it, the, the Harold Bloom calls it the school of resentment. When you approach literature or history or whatever, and you just hate the guys and you say, oh, he was, I bet he was a racist. I bet he was a sexist. I bet I don't really like him. If you, if you go around life like that, you're not going to have a good time. If you, That's if right. you, you'll walk lighter if you, if you get rid of hate and start loving people. And that is, the antidote. I want, I'm sorry. I want, I want, sorry for interrupting, Mike. I want to encourage people to go and forgive. Start with their parents first. And don't ask them to forgive you. You forgive them. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive me, uh, uh, forgive me as I forgive, right? So you go and forgive them because the problem is your hatred or your anger toward them. But once you go and apologize for what they've done to you, it doesn't make it right, but apology is for hating them is forgiveness. God will forgive you and he will give you perfect peace. Then you can finally have the life that we are all meant to have. We were meant to have a good life. We can have challenges, but when you don't have anger, you can overcome those challenges. That's it. The Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson, The Antidote, Healing America from the Poison of Hate, 
blame and victimhood. Also, check him out on Newsmax. Check out his check him out all over the internet and these town halls. Jesse, it is always so good to see you, and I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you, Michael. I enjoy talking to you. I really appreciate you having me on. Do you love Jesse Lee Peterson? Do you love, I love Jesse Lee Peterson. What a guy. He is great. Uh, we have to talk about the news. We have to talk about how Donald Trump may be denuclearizing North Korea. Let, let me tell you, if, if someone were taking bets on that, I probably wouldn't have won money. But hey, in the age of Trump, uh, you can't predict anything. Never say never when it comes to Donald Trump. We'll also talk about this Cambridge Analytica non-troversy, the most absurd non-troversy that the Democrats have come up with in decades, and really what it's all about, how everything in the news is designed to attack Donald Trump. But I can't do that yet because I have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. I said goodbye to YouTube a long time ago, but I've got to say goodbye to Facebook. If you are on thedailywire.com, thank you very much because you help keep the lights on. Even the lights here at National Review, we're, we're, not, we're not paying them anything for this. So thank you to our friends at National Review for having me. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, go there. You get me, you get the Andrew Clavin Show, you get the Ben Shapiro Show. It's $10 a month or $100 for an annual membership. What you really get, what is so important, is the Leftist Tears Tumblr. I feel incomplete this week. You know, I'm in New York. I'm right after this show today. I'm going to go right up to Ithaca. I've got a speech at Ithaca College tomorrow. We're going to be talking about that old time religion. I'm going to be talking about the crisis, that the search for meaning among millennials, how there is objective truth. I'm going to be talking about the Battle of Lepanto, the difference between different religions and various Christian heresies, maybe a little Islam sprinkled in there. I'm just telling you the tears are going to flow. The leftist tears are going to flow. I've already heard they're tearing down posters at Ithaca College. Uh, one student apparently said that my face is like a middle finger to the campus. And I, that is a sweet little Elisa's pet name for me. But she did point out my face looks more like a thumb. It's not, it's not like that totally narrow. It's a little more like a thumb. It's opposable. It's easily opposed on that campus. So make sure you need that leftist tears tumbler. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back. My very opposable head. I wonder if Antifa's going to throw any tomatoes or Molotov cocktails at it tomorrow. We shall see, shouldn't we? Okay, let's very quickly before we have to go here, and I need to go sit in five hours of traffic, we have to talk about what's in the news because it is clearer now than ever that everything that is in the news is designed to attack Donald Trump. That's it. That's the only common thread between all of it. There are women's marches that don't invite women. There are the March for Our Lives that have Planned Parenthood supporting them. They, it's all, it seems like they want certain gun control, but they don't want any effective gun control. And really, they just want to take away all of your guns. The, it's the, the, All of this weird a moment. They're attacking John Bolton. They're attacking Facebook. They're attacking Russia. They want spaghetti at the wall. They want anything to hit. It's so pathetic. Because I'm in New York, I've been going into different places, restaurants, offices, that, and they have CNN and MSNBC on, which I rarely am subjected to. But it just drives this point home, especially CNN. It just exists to attack Donald Trump. Uh, let's look at just Cambridge Analytica for a second. This is the most absurd, innocuous non-troversy that Democrats have come up with in a very long time. It's a nothing story. Here's what happened. Uh, users gave their data to Facebook, and then uh, certain companies through Cambridge Analytica 
created certain apps and tools to have users give them their data, and they did. That's what happened. <laughs> they, you know, there's like a little quiz, and it says, are you really smart, and do you want to give us all your data? And you say, yeah, I really want to give you all of my data, and then they have it. A marketing company used Facebook effectively. That's basically, that's, ooh, oh my gosh. By the way, if it were a Democrat who did this, you wouldn't hear about it. All you heard in 2008 was Obama's the digital candidate. He's using digital. Oh, he's so great. You even heard this about Hillary until we found out it wasn't true. Then when Republicans use digital really well, it's a national scandal. Another way that you know this is nothing. So they, on Twitter today, one of the top trends was Robert Mercer. And Robert Mercer is a big GOP donor. And the big scare headline was that Robert Mercer, who had invested in this thing and that thing and his third cousin twice removed, worked at Cambridge Analytica, whatever, that he had donated to John Bolton's political action committee. John Bolton, the new national security advisor to President Trump. And this was groundbreaking. This was really earth shattering news. A, a GOP donor donated to a Republicans political action committee breaking. And also the sky remains blue and fish continue to swim and the sun continues to shine. This is also breaking news. Uh, he's a GOP donor. He gives to a lot of Republicans, of course, but they're trying, this is how you know they don't care about this Cambridge Analytica thing. Republicans used technology well, and they're very angry about that because only Democrats are supposed to use technology well. They're very upset. So they attack anything they can. Why are they bringing up John Bolton? Oh, because John Bolton is Donald, Donald Trump's latest move. He just appointed John Bolton NSA, so now it's got to be about John Bolton. They will grasp at anything. By the way, even the Washington Post admits this. In the WAPO today, Ed Rogers explains, quote, because Democrats have no affirmative agenda to run on in November, they are left clinging onto the Russian collusion story for dear life. Even when it comes to Bolton, Democrats such as Tim Kaine, who would have been the second woman president, have gone so far as to suggest that perhaps Bolton shouldn't receive a security clearance because he's interacted with the Russians over the years. Well, most foreign policy professionals in the United States make it their business to interact with Russians on a regular basis. Oh, and by the way, it was the candidate who picked Kaine as her running mate, Clinton Kaine, whose allies actually used Russian-supplied information. It's just spaghetti at the wall. Now, you're probably reading all about Stormy Daniels, for whatever reason, or you're reading about Cambridge Analytica. You're reading about a big technology company that you give all of your data to using your data. That's what you're using. What you're not reading about is how Donald Trump may have denuclearized North Korea. <laughs> After 70 years of aggression with this country, we met 20 years of a nuclear program, more than that, we may have denuclearized them. Uh, the main stories on CNN and the New York Times today, though, if you search, you assume it's probably, that's probably a big headline. Uh, no, that would be Stormy Daniels. We might denuclearize North Korea, a major geopolitical threat, or Donald Trump had sex with a porn star once 10 years ago, allegedly. We, we might not all burn up in nuclear holocaust because of a rogue state that we've been fighting for 70 years. Donald Trump, a guy who bragged about having sex with porn stars, may have had sex with a porn star one time 10 years ago. That's the headline. That's the headline on the New York Times and CNN. The lead story in the Washington Post was about how awful Trump's policies will be toward immigrants. That was the big headline. North Korea might denuclearize but, but the immigrants. And here's the headline from the Washington Post. National security Trump proposal would penalize immigrants who use tax credits and other benefits. Listen to the language. Immigrants. Why would it, how would it, 
So someone's here, they're an immigrant. Why would they be penalized if they use welfare? The Washington Post writes, immigrants who accept almost any form of welfare or public benefit, even popular tax deductions, could be denied legal U.S. residency under a proposal in waiting the administration, which is seeking to reduce the number of foreigners living in the U.S. Hold on a second. I thought we were talking about the immigrants. An immigrant is someone who comes to the United States legally. An emigrant leaves his country. An immigrant is accepted into a new country. So it's saying immigrants who accept almost any form of welfare could be denied legal U.S. residency. But if, they're, if they don't have legal U.S. residency, then they're not immigrants. Oh, oh, the Washington Post means illegal aliens. They just used a completely deceptive term that doesn't actually explain those people because they want to blur the distinction between illegal aliens and immigrants who come here. They, you know, there are a lot of immigrants. There are Italian immigrants. There are Jewish immigrants. There are illegal immigrants. You know, just all different kinds of immigrants, right? No, these are categorically different things. And this is why you cannot trust anything that you read in these sources. It's why you can't trust the news. We see that everything is designed just to attack Donald Trump. It isn't designed to, to report the news. That's why we call it the fake news. But just the language that they use is, it com comprises lies. The whole constitution of the language that they use is lies. The word immigrant to refer to illegal aliens is deceptive, dishonest, lying, fake language. It's just baked into the very uh, medium that they're using to report the news. So don't, that's a little bit of a sidebar, but it's really important to pay attention to those things. I've got a PragerU video coming out soon on the importance of language, which is ironic because I didn't write a book, so now I get to talk about language. But it's very important to pay attention to that language. Language concedes whole premises. Back to North Korea. This means, just in case you missed it, I know the news didn't report on it, that our madman's strategy, you know, our madman, they've got, North Korea has its madman, and Donald Trump says you better watch out because he's got to deal with this madman. It seems that that strategy is working. It seems that that strategy is working. And it seems that the appointment of John Bolton isn't coincidental. It seems that that is working. John Bolton, maybe the most vocal voice in the United States, the loudest voice in the United States, attacking North Korea, hammering North Korea. They, Donald Trump appointed John Bolton NSA like five minutes ago. He hasn't even taken office yes, yet. And North Korea says, okay, we'll denuclearize. Okay. Hey, so I was thinking we might appoint John, but we'll do it. We'll denuclearize. I'm so, okay, we'll do it. Okay. Well, I didn't even finish. I could have said John, uh, John Billington. I could have said, no, but okay, you have Bolton, right? That is a pretty good strategy. And this is the meaning of peace through strength. Democrats totally misrepresent this. They demagogue this all the time. They accuse Republicans of warmongers. Ronald Reagan talked about this in his famous speech in the 1960s, A Time for Choosing. Peace through strength. What Democrats get us is war through weakness. Barack Obama was a wartime president. I was told if I voted for John McCain that we would get involved in many more wars in the Middle East. And they were right. I voted for John McCain and we got involved in more wars in the Middle East and in Africa. They, just because one talks the talk of peace does not mean that one will affect peace. This is the constant refrain of uh, Democrats and lefties who want to, the appearance of the thing, but not the essence of the thing. Weakness leads to war and strength leads to peace. It looks like we might be seeing that playing out right now. Uh, of course, I don't believe Kim Jong-un. I don't believe Little Rocket Man for one second. I, talk is cheap and we'll see what happened. But, you know, just look at how the media is reporting this. When Barack Obama said, hey, we're going to basically give Iran a nuclear weapon, but they say that they probably won't do it. 
He was lauded as this Messiah, as the savior of the world from the brink of war. Even though we, Iran began cheating on that agreement almost immediately. Donald Trump has a perfect parallel here with North Korea. They say he's going to get us into war. He's, he's so crazy. He's so crazy. They're going to get us into war. Uh, this is, this is that parallel. And who knows, uh, probably Kim Jong-un is a liar and probably we can't trust him. This is right ahead of the summit. He said it to China, but let's not forget that North Korea is basically just an ancillary state of China. So if China pushes them, if, if get tough talk with China and uh, putting pressure on China will force North Korea to the table, all the better for it. And we should remember the important phrase of Ronald Reagan, doveriai no proveriai, trust but verify. I don't know how to say that in Korean. We should look it up and hopefully Donald Trump says it at the table. Okay, I'm heading up to, uh, I'm, I'm heading to Korea. I can't wait. To, I'll probably get protested there. I'm heading up to Ithaca. We'll have a show tomorrow. We're going to be doing the mailbag. So get all of your questions in, especially if Antifa comes going for me. You know, this might be the last mailbag for a while. So make sure you get all of your questions in. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.